please remain standing for the reading of God's word. So, good morning, church. So, an interesting thing happened to me this morning. I used to tell my boys, who, uh, of course, now are closer to young men, whenever they had a sports game or some kind of contest they were going to be involved in, that, uh, you know, the less people expect of you, the better, because there's no pressure. (laughs) So they could just go out and give it their all and hopefully, you know, surprise people. Um, We're not going to worry about that today, but you would be surprised at how less pressure there is than knowing two or three weeks ahead of time sometimes. Before you do something. Now, having said that, I did take precautions. There's water up here, so there'll be no dehydration. And anybody that knows me knows I did not go walk seven miles yesterday. Um, so we should be good to go. Uh, my, my number one goal would be not to fall down so that uh, people don't get afraid of maybe filling this pulpit when we need them. I would like you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 4. This morning, we'll spend some time considering this passage. Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 23. I'll be reading from the NAS. Hear God's word. When they had been released, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, O Lord... It is you who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Who by the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this, your word. Help us to accept it as such and to not sit as judges over it, but to receive it with glad hearts. Build us up in the faith this morning. Increase our convictions and empower us for ministry. In Christ's name we ask. Amen. You may be seated. Now, we did begin our consideration of this passage at verse 23, but to set the proper context, we have to go back all the way to Acts chapter 3, at least for the immediate context. And back in chapter C, back in chapter 3, there's mistake number 1, right? <laughs> back in chapter 3, we see this uh, episode, this story of the healing of a man who was born lame. The man was described as lame from his mother's womb and who was daily taken out into a public place and set down so that, the, so that he might beg, so that he might receive some alms, some tithes. And Peter and John came along one day, And Peter, being kind of the main character here who does most of the talking, Peter looked at this man and fixed his gaze upon him. It tells us in chapter 3, verse 4, and he says, Here, look at us. Look up to here. And he began to give him his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, Look, I do not possess silver or gold. But what I do give, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. 
And God honored Peter in this, and God raised up this lame man. And as you can imagine, as this man is up and leaping for joy and dancing around for the first time in his life, a crowd begins to gather, as you can imagine. Um, This crowd begins to gather, and so Peter, being the good preacher that he is, takes opportunity here to explain what's going on and to preach a sermon to these people. But this is no no seeker-sensitive version of the gospel. If you follow down in chapter 3 to verses 12, Peter, responding to this this gathering of people, says, "Uh, Men of Israel, why are you amazed at this, or why do you gaze at us as if by our own power or piety we had made him walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, but put to death the prince of life, the one whom God has raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses. It's on the basis of faith in his name. It is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know. And the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect health in the presence of all. And then Peter continues and calls these people to repentance, pointing to them as guilty in this. Um, He calls them to repentance that they might put their faith in Christ and also receive a spiritual healing and be made whole. So not a seeker-sensitive sermon. He calls them to repentance. As we move on to chapter 4 then, in building our context, all of this attracts yet more attention. And this is the attention they're not necessarily looking for, but it's the attention they get nonetheless, because now the leaders of the Jewish people, the council, the Sanhedrin, they have gained the they have they have taken note of what is going on, and they have sent guards down to seize Peter and John and bring them in. So they are arrested, they spend the night in jail, and the next day the the council gathers. I do want to make one interesting note at the beginning of chapter four, though, in verse four, even though Peter and John now were sitting in jail. Even though they were now in prison, God was still at work because it says that the number of believers then were increased to as many as 5,000. You know, so the gospel was not hindered here in this. God was at work. Keep that in mind. They take great comfort in things like this later on. So the council gathers. The council brings Peter and John before them, and they begin to question them before the council. And you've got to try to picture this. This is a serious threat. Keep that in mind. This was maybe, maybe years, probably months from the time of the crucifixion. These were the people who handed Jesus over, who now, before whom John and Peter are having to stand to give an account for what they're doing out in public. These are people that are not happy in this preaching of Jesus as a risen Lord, the one whom they had given over to crucifixion. So it's a serious threat. Um, And yet they give, in verses 8 through 12, what has to be called a bold response. Following along again in verse 8, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, or replied to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we're on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man, as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Again, Peter boldly responds to the council. Sorry. 
As a sidebar, I wanted to point out in chapter 4, verse 13, the response of the council when they hear Peter's response. This is not what the sermon is on, but I have to throw this in there. Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. I've always been fascinated by that phrase. Um, and I have always taken it upon myself, not always, but in the last 15, 20 years anyway, to be a pretty serious student of the word. But my goal really would be this. And you could put this on my, my, my tombstone, God willing. You know, not, not trained, not educated, but having been with Jesus. What higher compliment to give these men, these fishermen from Galilee? Okay, so now that's just a sidebar. But what an honor to be called that. So after, after conferring together, the council having sent them out and conferred together, they come back in, they threaten the disciples, they give them a command not to preach anymore in this way or in this name. And then they send the disciples on their way. But Peter, of course, has one final parting shot. I won't read it, but in verses 19 and 20, Peter exercises some civil disobedience here. And he says, whether it's right in your eyes or whether it's right in God's eyes for us to be silent in this matter, you'll have to be the judge. You do what you must, we'll do what we must. We must keep preaching this word. So the threat is real. Um, Peter exercises a certain amount of disobedience, civil disobedience here, or at least puts them on notice that they're going to continue exercising their call. Now that brings us down to our text, verses 23 through 30. And if you're like me, by now you're impressed with Peter and John, because I am. I am. I do not possess this kind of boldness, especially not the kind of thing where you think on your feet in the midst of a threat. Um, I would tend to stumble, tend to be more silent. It's different when you've had time to consider your thoughts. So you're probably impressed that they're, they're so brave, that they're so bold, but yet they're people like we are. And I think if you asked them, they would probably still admit to you that they've had some fear here, um, that they were afraid, which we can tell by their response, because now as they have gone out from the council, they gather together the people of God, and they join together with them in prayer. Um, this, is, this is the response of someone who, who maybe has testified the good witness, but now has been left a little bit trembling. Remember Elijah after this great victory uh, on Mount Carmel? When God destroyed the prophets of Baal and God sent rain, what did he do when he found out that Jezebel was angry? Right? He ran. He ran away. So you cannot help but think, even in the midst of great testimony, great victory, there's still some fear if you're like most people, if you're like me at least. So there's some fear here. But they gathered the people together, and they decided to have a prayer service. Now, would that have been your first response? Because it would not have been mine. I might have gathered people together to help me pack. You know, I, I, don't, I don't know about prayer at this time. I've been nervous. This is a significant threat. But they gather the people together to pray. They take refuge and they find comfort and renewed strength amongst God's people and in prayer. And so I want to look at the content of their prayer as we consider this this morning. Their prayer begins uh, in verse... 24, and when they heard this, when they heard the report and the threats of the chief priests and elders, when they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, O Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. I want to stop right there. 
I want you to notice two things through this prayer. That what they take rest in here is God's power and control. And the first thing they mention in their prayer is God's creative acts. Okay, God has created all things. In the creation, we see the display of God's power and God's wisdom. And I don't know about you, but I'm fascinated by trees. I, I honestly, when I see a big tree, I'm amazed. You've got a branch comes out of a tree, goes over here 50 feet. The strength, the power in that thing that doesn't snap off, right? But then as you get closer to the tree and you begin to see little things growing on it and you realize there's an entire ecosystem there. And then when you pluck a leaf off a tree and you look closely at it these days with my glasses because I can't see the details without them, but you begin to see the structure and the veins and how God put it together. And then if you look closer at that leaf and flip it over, you begin to see some of these little, what they call mouths, soma or something, I believe is the word, that, that take in, they breathe, they take in bad air and put out the good. And so when you consider just a tree, you consider the works of God's creation, and you see his power in sustaining that thing and creating that thing. You see his wisdom in how it all works together. And that's just a tree. You put the whole system together. And so they look to God's creation. They see his power and his wisdom, and they take great comfort here. This is the God to whom they turn. And there's a a lesson here for us, too. We, We can turn. We ought to take note of what we see around us a little more often. okay? And And we look to the maker of that thing and realize that just as it says that Solomon was not clothed as fine as even the, the grasses of the field or the lilies of the field, so God cares much more even so for you. So they mention God's creation. The fact that God has created and that this tells us something about God. And then secondly... They continue on in their prayer in verse uh, 25, who by the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. Now this here is a quote from the Old Testament here. It's a cross-reference if you wanted to look at later to Psalm 2. And it talks about the nations raging against God while the, while the nations gather together and they take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, the Christ. And what they say is, let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. These are the peoples of the earth saying, we will ha- not have a God over us. We will do as we please. Okay, Let us tear their fetters apart and cast their cords away from us. This is them thumbing their nose at the Almighty who has created all things that they see, who gives them the breath in their lungs by which they defy him. Okay, And what is God's response in Psalm chapter 2? Does anybody know it? This is your chance. I want somebody to speak out. What does God do? He laughs. The Lord laughs at them. This reminds me of, of an old comic. I think it was Doonesbury, if I had the title right. But it was one of these comic books where they had this, this, this penguin was the main character whose name was Opus. And they just show him standing in a room one day with his big webbed feet and flat beak or whatever. And this cockroach comes crawling out. And he begins to lecture this penguin about how the cockroaches are really one of the undestructible items on the earth. They can survive the nuclear holocaust. They can live without a head for seven days or some kind of thing that I've been told. And he begins to lecture this penguin over and over and over. This penguin simply steps over there and went like that. Okay? The nations rage and say, we will not have God telling us what we must do and how we must be and what we should believe. And God sits enthroned in the heavens and he laughs and he scoffs at them. This is your God. 
This is the one who has created. This is the one who watches over you. This is the one who has spoken to comfort and instruct his people. So they looked at God's creation. They looked at God's word. And then they continued in verse 27. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. I love this. God has created and God has spoken. Okay, but God has also already determined the outcome. And it even points here to the cross. We think, we think some bad men here did a bad thing, and there is some truth in that because we're responsible for our actions. But it says here what they did was they did what God had already predetermined and predestined to occur. So they've looked, at God's, they've looked at God's power and creation. They've looked at what God has spoken, and now they also look at what God has determined, what he has predestined. And he has ta- they take great comfort in this. I know there's mystery there. There is. I don't understand how God determines the free acts of men, but he does, to the point that all details are taken care of, and our God is in control of this thing. They take great comfort there. If God did that at the cross, God is doing that now for them under this threat. Okay, so they look at God's creation. They listen to his word. And they, in that word, it teaches them that God is in control of all things. And they take great comfort and find peace there. They don't rebel against it. They don't say, well, how can this be? I'll figure it out. They submit to God's word and they find peace in the midst of the struggle. Now, I do want to mention, I forgot to mention in Psalm 2, that this conflict that you see going on is nothing new. You know, just because they're facing conflict here at this time, in this place, they were in their time, in their place, and I'm sure it's something that we will come across at some point. It is nothing new. This goes back to the garden, where we were told that the seed of the woman would eventually crush the head of the serpent. Okay, And ever since that time, there has been conflict among the people of God and the people that are not. There's the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And so they know that from God's word as well. And they know that none of this has taken God off guard somehow. So, they look to God's creation, they look to God's word, they look to God's plan and the fact that he is in control. And I want to go back to Elijah for just a second. Because whether you like this mystery of God having predetermined anything or not, you need to wrestle with it to the point that you can accept it because of the great benefit. You know, we have a God who is not caught off guard. We have a God who does not turn his gaze away from you at times because he's distracted by something else. Okay, now when Elijah was on Mount Carmel, and remember the prophets of Baal, they got to go first. And the idea was to offer up this sacrifice and pray that their God would send down fire and consume the sacrifice. And the one who offers by fire, he was God, right? And it says that the prophets of Baal went on all day long. They went until noon. They went until late afternoon. They eventually were cutting themselves to try to get God's attention. And Elijah's sitting over there mocking them. It's like, speak louder. Maybe he's gone on a trip. Okay? Maybe he's indisposed. At one point, I think the Hebrew kind of hints that maybe he's using the facilities. Okay? I mean, Elijah was not being polite about this. He was challenging them. He was daring them. Call louder. And then when their turn was up, all Elijah did was soak all the sacrifices down with water to make it more and more impossible. And he uttered a simple prayer. And he said, Lord, answer by fire and show these people that there is a God in heaven. Okay? Do we understand it all? No, but we can take great comfort in our God. Okay, moving on. 
having laid the foundation, having put their souls at rest, they now make a request. They turn to God in petition, starting in verse 29. And now, Lord, take note of their threats. That's number one. Take note of their threats. You know, they're not fools. They didn't just say, okay, God has created all things, and God is in control of all things, and God has a plan, so who's going to hurt me? No, 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 no. No. It may hurt. There, there may still be pain to come. Okay, but Lord, take note of their threats. There are things that we have some control in or some, some actions to take in, but there are some things we, we don't, and we leave it up to the God who is there and who, who, who is over all. Okay, so Lord, take note of their threats. We, we, can't, we can't address that. We can't handle that. There's, we, can't, we can't resist that. So you do it. Take note of their threats. Now, but what about us? I love this. Take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence, it says in the NAS. I don't know if it's the King James or whatever. I didn't have time to check all the versions. Um, boldness. Grant with all, that with all boldness. We may speak your word. Now, just like before when they got together to pray and I said I'd be packing, I would not here be praying for boldness. That's what got me in trouble in the first place. Boldness to go out and preach the word that just got me brought in before the people who crucified my master. I cannot imagine a prayer like this. There's a selflessness here. They're not praying for safety. They're not praying for somehow release of their marching orders like, Lord, now go find someone else. I've gone as far as I can go. They're praying for boldness that they might be faithful to the commission God gave them to preach the word. So grant that with all boldness we might preach your word. Remember, sometimes we don't get our prayers answered. It tells us in James chapter 4, verse 3, because we ask wrongly, and we ask, the King James, I believe, says that we might consume things to our own lusts. You know, so that we might have these things that we clutch about us and be more comfortable. And yet here they said, Lord, you take note of that. And grant with all boldness that we might be faithful to this commission, this preaching of the word of God. And then they do go on and say, while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant Jesus. They are asking that he would display his power and glory, that he would validate what they're saying, that he would show to the world that they do not speak on their own. Okay, but that they would, but that God's seal of approval is on them. That's what these signs and wonders are meant to be. Um, and God answers their prayer. We go down to verse 31. We see the answers to these prayers. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and did what? Began to speak the word of God with boldness. Okay, revived, refreshed, again, out in the street preaching the word with boldness. But not only that, they had prayed for other things. They had prayed for signs and wonders would take place, that God would validate their message, that God would show his support of them on their mission. So where do we find these? If you go down to chapter 5, verse 12, for instance, at the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's portico, but none of the rest dared to associate with them. 
Okay, as many signs and wonders take place. Now, I do have to stop right here and give some sort of clarification, and I don't want to get caught up in this, but there is a current debate between continuationists and cessationists and everything. Does God act in this way today and all that? I want to point out here that these, as it tells us in 2 Corinthians 12, 12, that this, these works, these signs that God gives as, as, as the seal of approval on the message of the apostles are called the signs of a true apostle. Okay? The signs of a true apostle. These gifts, these signs were given at a certain time to validate the message of the apostles who were those commissioned by the Lord to go out and continue this ministry which he had begun in his earthly life. So whatever label you want to put me, I'm not a continuationist. I just don't want to get too far in that debate. I'm more of a cessationist. I'm not saying God cannot work. I'm not saying God cannot heal. I'm saying this immediate, complete healing of people or signs and wonders as a validation of the message preached was given to the apostolic office. Okay? Now... That is not the only signs and wonders we find, though, in chapter 5, verse 12. If you go down further to verse 14, And all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women, were constantly added to their number. Now, what is more miraculous? You know, when the Bible describes a person without God as dead, and this person is brought to life, and we see that picture in Lazarus, where Jesus simply just speaks the word, this effectual call, Lazarus come forth, and he rises up from the dead. There's a picture of salvation. There's your signs and wonders that continue. When the message goes out, God, through the ministry of the Spirit, calls his people from darkness to light and from death to life. And that is the miraculous. That is the validation of this message. God is still at work in that way, even today. So, they prayed... God answered their prayers. The place was shaken. There were signs and wonders. That This greatest sign of the new birth as God continually added to the numbers of the people. And they, for their part, went out and spoke boldly this word of God. And that brings us close to the end. I want to try to tie this up, have a little bit of a conclusion and some application. In our culture today, gone are the days when Christianity is held in the high honor it used to be. Now, whether we were founded a Christian nation or we had a greater Christian consensus, that can be debated by the historians or whatever. That's beyond my pay grade. But the church, at least, used to be held in a certain place of honor in the community. And that has been degraded. That has been thrown by the wayside. And in fact, the antagonism is coming flooding back in. There has been for an awful long time, in my opinion, a veneer of civility towards the church, and this veneer is wearing thin. So we can see, just like this conflict has been going on since the beginning, and it went on for the apostles, that we, who have been protected because of where we live and the culture we live in for a time, could very well find ourselves in a situation like this, even today or coming up soon. Um, The veneer wears thin. And so you have to ask the question, are you ready? We can take some guidance from this passage because we can respond as they did. And even better than that, we have the same God they have. Okay? We have the same God who has created all things. And we can see it around us and we can take comfort there. We have the same God who has spoken his word. And will we be students of it? Will we find there strength and encouragement and hope? We too must find rest Comfort and strength there. And God's sovereignty, this issue of God having ordained all things, this, this thing, when properly understood, 
far from making us passive, should give us great confidence in this endeavor. You know, God is in control of all things. God has said, when my word goes forth, when Christ be lifted up, he will draw all men to himself. He says that when my sheep hear my voice, and when I call, they will come. We have great comfort. We have great promise. We have great hope in this mission of the gospel if we will but pray for and receive the strength to act in boldness. Okay? Boldness. We must strive to be bold. We must boldly preach this word, which is the word of the risen, reigning, regenerating, life-giving, and soon-returning Christ. And it's a little bit early, but I want to close there. So if you would, let's pray. Father, we do thank you this morning for your word. I pray that you would edit out any comments that would be inappropriate or unuseful to you, but that you would take the rest of them and drive them home and give them great weight today. Lay them on our hearts, Lord. Encourage the downtrodden. Strengthen the weak. Embolden the timid. And Lord, glorify your Son. In his name we pray. Amen.